welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Peter Rocha, Global Head of Reed Smith's International Arbitration Practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. Welcome to our Greener Arbitrations podcast mini-series, a platform where Reed Smith's international arbitration lawyers will be exploring the legal and technical issues involved in reducing the environmental footprint of arbitrations. I am Alison Eslick, an international arbitration lawyer at Reed Smith's Dubai office. And I am Vanessa Tiffry, an international arbitration lawyer at Reed Smith's Paris office. In these episodes, we will hear from leading arbitration practitioners and external speakers and discuss insights, news, and trends relevant to greening arbitration and the challenges that are entailed. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of Arbitral Insights. This is Reed Smith's podcast channel. I'm Alison Eslick, a senior associate in Reed Smith's Dubai office, and I'm here with Vanessa Tiffrey, a senior associate in our Paris office, and we are very happy to host another episode of our Greener Arbitrations mini-series. So in 2022, Reed Smith launched an initiative to reduce the environmental footprint of our arbitrations. Uh, We quickly identified the need to raise awareness, both internally and externally, and holding a podcast mini-series on greener arbitrations seemed like a fun and engaging way to do that. This is the first episode of our 2023 Greener Arbitration Series out of six. This year, lawyers of Reed Smith debate procedural measures to reduce the environmental footprint of arbitrations. This first episode focuses on arbitration agreements. More precisely, two teams of two Reed Smith lawyers will answer the question, should arbitration agreements be amended to include sustainability measures, with one team answering in the affirmative, the second in the negative. Thanks, Vanessa. I believe we do have a short disclaimer. So please everyone note that for the purposes of these podcasts, our debaters have been assigned the positions that they are advocating. The debaters are therefore role-playing and none of the views expressed during the debates should be attributed to any of the individuals participating in the debates or Reed Smith or indeed any of Reed Smith's clients. Thanks, Alison. So with that said, let's start. The first speaker up is Susie Savage. Susie is a partner in the Global Commercial Disputes Group in London, an office managing partner at our Astana office specialized in international arbitration. Susie will have the very difficult task of kicking the debate off, advocating in the affirmative, that is yes, arbitration agreements should be amended to include sustainability measures. Thanks, Vanessa. I'm delighted to be taking part in this podcast discussing greener arbitrations, and I am speaking to why parties to international arbitration may want to consider amending arbitration clauses to include sustainability measures. I start by reminding everyone about some of the stark facts about the environmental impact of international arbitrations. The World Bank Group estimated that 80% of its carbon emissions pre-COVID came from business travel. A case study prepared by the Campaign for Greener Arbitrations found that approximately 20,000 trees would need to be planted to offset a 30 to $50 million international arbitration dispute's carbon emissions, with three quarters of those emissions arising from the long-haul flights typically involved. 
another 2022 study calculated the carbon footprint of an international arbitration based on the assumption that 31 return long-haul flights would be taken. The 2022 calculations found that the international arbitration generated approximately 293 million kilograms of CO2 emissions annually. But it would be easy to implement change. The COVID-19 pandemic had one silver lining in this regard. It demonstrated what could be achieved. It has done the work for us already in terms of technological implementations, carrying out international arbitrations remotely. The industry responded quickly to the pandemic, hence it should be able to respond equally as fast to climate change needs. And if the parties and the legal community are serious about committing to greener arbitrations, changing the way we think and conduct arbitrations, then instead of the very positive but somewhat ad hoc hopeful steps being taken already, the parties need to consider being proactive, adopting a more formal approach as early as possible. And they can do this by including sustainability measures the time they enter into arbitration agreements or ad hoc arbitration agreements once a dispute has arisen. This approach clearly and formally signals their intention to adopt green practices. This is about commitment at the start or as soon as practicably possible. Of course, when drafting arbitration agreements, parties are more concerned with commercial relationships and objectives. And then when a dispute arises, the focus is on strategy and outcomes. But this need not be the case. Amending arbitration clauses to include sustainability measures is not difficult. So much of the work and thinking has been done. The Chancery Lane project, for example, has produced dispute-related model clauses encouraging sustainable practices in arbitration and reducing greenhouse gas-emitting behaviours in the proceedings. For example, their Amelia's Protocol, which encourages the parties to opt into the relevant protocol on greener proceedings at the start of the dispute. Sustainability measures can be kept simple and need only specify the elements required to ensure the validity and implementation of the clause. When agreeing arbitration clauses, the nature of any future dispute is not yet known, and so the party's commitment should remain one of principle, stating, firstly, the party's awareness of the environmental impact of certain aspects of the arbitration procedure, secondly, that they shall endeavour to limit such an impact as far as possible, and finally, that they will inform the arbitral tribunal of such an endeavour. Other than the obvious environmental benefits, the incentives for the parties to commit in this way include, firstly, that the arbitration costs can be considerably reduced. The Campaign for Greener Arbitrations concluded that making changes such as eliminating paper bundles and the use of motorbike careers and reducing the amount of travel could reduce disbursement costs by up to 40%. But where the parties agree to commit in this way, the groundwork is hopefully laid to rebuild commercial relationships after a dispute. And increasingly as well, ESG requirements mean companies are already under pressure to reduce the environmental impact of their activities, which they must report. Amended arbitration clauses are an easy upfront win. Well, thank you, Susie, for that compelling argument. Those statistics you gave about the impact of business travel, I mean, for me, that really puts things into perspective as to why we should be amending our arbitration agreements um, to include sustainability measures. Look, our second debater up is Patrick Beale. Patrick is also a partner in our London office who's specialised in international disputes resolution and is part of our global commercial disputes group. So, Patrick, you have heard what Susie has had to say and the floor is yours. Thank you, Alison. 
and likewise very happy to be participating in this discussion. And I want to make a number of points uh, under two headings. Firstly, I think the proposals are unrealistic for a number of reasons. Arbitration clauses are already regarded as midnight clauses in contract negotiation. So it's difficult enough to convince parties to pay proper attention to their dispute resolution clause, and therefore unrealistic to expect them to be interested in negotiating complex green measures. Then, even if parties are willing to include such measures in their contract, they're unlikely to put much thought into the provisions, leading to cookie-cutter measures, rather than measures which are tailored to meet their specific needs. Next, sustainability measures involve with time as technology becomes more advanced. Since many commercial disputes arise years after a contract is signed, specified sustainability measures may no longer represent best practice when an arbitration is commenced. And finally, on this point, the laws governing conduct of arbitral proceedings also evolve. Sustainability measures included in arbitration clauses today can't take into account any future procedural requirements or limitations within the relevant jurisdiction or under the laws applicable to the arbitration agreement. My second point is that it's counterproductive to include such measures in the arbitration clause. Arbitration is meant to be a flexible and even informal process. Including sustainability measures may make the process more complex and overlaid with regulation such that the best features of arbitration are then lost. Then you have to consider what the consequences will be of a breach of such sustainability measures. Might a partial or complete failure to comply open the way to challenge an award or its enforceability? Or could the measures be said to be a condition, breach of which entitles the innocent party to terminate the arbitration agreement? And how do you assess or verify the respective parties' compliance with the measures? There's no standardization or consistency in ESG metrics. It will increase the cost of arbitration if parties have to engage experts or auditors to assess compliance or benchmark performance. But even if assessing compliance relies on self-reporting, for example of carbon emissions, then such reports may be challenged, particularly if there's a financial incentive for parties to report lower emissions if, say, compliance is tied to the recovery of costs. This could become a distraction and increase costs rather than reduce them. Also of concern is that mandating sustainability measures may discriminate against less well-resourced parties. We all know that high-grade technology and access to a fast internet connection is required for the smooth running of a virtual hearing. This has implications for due process for a party that doesn't have the resources or expertise of the opposing party to invest in the IT and infrastructure necessary for compliance with such measures. And lastly, the inclusion of sustainability measures may lead to satellite litigation over, for example, their interpretation and what's necessary to comply with their requirements. And this gives unscrupulous parties the opportunity to engage in guerrilla tactics. Thank you, Patrick, for this sobering reminder. We have all indeed been confronted with arbitration agreements that have been negotiated and drafted hastily with prescriptions that down the line can prove outdated and counterproductive. But maybe our next speaker, Matthew Townsend, will have counter-arguments. 
Matthew is a partner in Reed Smith based in our Hong Kong office as a foreign lawyer in the disputes practice. So, Matthew, what is your rebuttal? Thank you. Well, I certainly agree that Patrick's argument derives from a very worthy principle and a principle that I agree with, which is that um, the best arbitration clause is certainly a simple one and that an overcomplicated arbitration clause or indeed an arbitration clause which has picked up any sort of barnacle uh, in the process of party negotiation can be unhelpful and sometimes counterproductive. That's, I think, is a principle that we all agree on. But what I would like to do is put three kind of counterpoints or three other principles which perhaps can be accommodated with this idea also. And the first is really to underline uh, Susie's point at the outset, which is uh, we are all concerned about potential procedural inefficiency in, for instance, uh, seeking to amend the midnight clause and uh, increasing the costs of, of the arbitration. But we weigh this uh, procedural inefficiency, this possibility of additional cost against other concerns, in this case, the very real concerns over the environmental impact of arbitration. And while are not always conflicting principles, they uh, are often conflicting. So that is the first point. The second point I'd make is, even if, let's say, we concede that there may only be fairly rare occasions in which inclusion of environmental provisions in arbitration clauses are justified, and I'm not necessarily making that uh, concession here, then there are nonetheless, let's say, rare occasions at least where perhaps we might all agree that some inclusion is justified. And I'm thinking here maybe of of an edge case, but an important edge case, which is a specific transaction or perhaps a model agreement where the wording in that agreement, because of the nature of the entity, for instance, a a large MNC or a state, gives it agenda-setting power. So, for instance, perhaps investor-state treaties or precedent agreements for an MNC. And uh, in such cases, the potential procedural inefficiencies here would have to be weighed against the opinion-shaping benefits. And I think Susie mentioned ESG, which is an important point also. And the pure procedural concerns which might arise would have to be uh, weighed against this uh, agenda-setting and opinion-shaping power. The other, perhaps you might think of an edge case, is when the selected institution where, which, or the rules which have been selected, uh, perhaps through the application of the mandatory law applicable to a transaction or project, maybe is not an institution or are not rules which contain the most modern or the most uh, up-to-date uh, set of environmental protections or considerations within them. In, and in that case, the parties may decide that uh, for the sake of clarity, they would like to include a provision bringing to prominence environmental considerations uh, within their arbitration agreement. Now, the third point that I'd make briefly is that in instances in which sustainability measures are included in arbitration agreements, even if these instances are rare, there is, as Susie mentioned, uh, potential ways in which they could be fairly briefly and unobtrusively expressed. Uh, So, for instance, in this part of the world, in Asia, we are accustomed 
to modifying arbitration clauses to include uh, reference to, for instance, the IBA rules on evidence in international arbitration in order to give the tribunal liberty to conduct the arbitration in accordance with those rules if he or she wishes. And in the same way, it might be possible or it would be possible to include a provision in arbitration agreements, providing, for instance, that the tribunal will have liberty to refer to, for instance, the green model procedural order when determining the procedure for the arbitration. And this is useful in a number of ways. First, it maintains the tribunal's flexibility and does not bind the tribunal to uh, take any steps or refrain from taking any steps in setting the procedure. Um, Second, it refers to a third party protocol, which can be updated and may indeed have been updated by the time uh, in the period between when the arbitration agreement uh, is executed and when an arbitration arises. So to conclude, there's at least three reasons that notwithstanding the potential procedural inefficiency of including sustainability provisions within an arbitration agreement, it is nonetheless a a legitimate exercise. The first is the simple necessity to weigh these concerns against the environmental impact of arbitration. Uh, The second are that there may be important edge cases where procedural efficiency is not king. And in fact, there are other reasons why we would like to include environmental considerations within these clauses. And then the third reason being that the inclusion of these clauses, uh, of these provisions within clauses, could be fairly briefly and unobtrusively expressed. Thank you, Matthew. I mean, that was really certainly very refreshing to hear after Patrick's rather pessimistic, albeit I have to say well-founded views um, about the challenges of making arbitrations greener uh, through the um, inclusion of an arbitration agreement with sustainability measures. Look, I really do agree with you that there might be some opportunities to insert sustainability measures into an arbitration clause. As you say, briefly expressed uh, could be the answer here. So let's see what our last debater, Joyce Fong, has to reply. Joyce is a counsel specialising in international arbitration, practising out of our Singapore office in the Energy and Natural Resources Group. Thank you, Alison. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast, so thank you for the opportunity. The fact remains that it is simply unnecessary for arbitration agreements to include sustainability measures. As we have heard, the best arbitration clause is short and simple. You have a functioning arbitration clause once you have basic components such as seat, number of arbitrators, language, and possibly nomination of institution. There is simply no need to include sustainability measures. I am not of course saying that we oppose the adoption of such measures in arbitration. Quite the contrary. Our position is that sustainability measures can and should be adopted through other means. Parties do not need a contractual obligation to adopt sustainability measures. Most of our clients have their own ESG commitments and will proactively seek to conduct arbitrations in a sustainable manner. We have, for example, clients who instruct us to conduct witness interviews over Zoom rather than in person to save costs and to be more environmentally friendly. Formalising an obligation simply creates an unnecessary risk of satellite litigation. I also disagree that a compromise can be made by watering down the wording of the sustainability obligations. Parties will no doubt spend a lot of time and money negotiating such wording. However, if it's watered down too much, the obligation may not be worth the paper on which it is written. 
Perhaps it would be preferable for parties to agree on sustainability measures at the start of the arbitration, such as when agreeing the contents of the first procedural order. At that stage, parties can incorporate the then-current sustainable trends rather than be tied to what could by then be outdated practices. Parties could also have a better sense of the nature of the dispute then and can ensure that the agreed measures are fit for purpose. Alternatively, sustainability measures may be automatically incorporated into arbitration agreements if parties adopt the rules of arbitral institutions, which include sustainability measures. For example, the LCIA and ICC rules now expressly allow hearings to take place remotely. As various institutions update their rules over the coming years, we expect rules to increasingly reflect sustainability measures. Institutions, of course, regularly keep their rules and practices updated, whereas an arbitration clause in a contract is almost never updated once it is signed. So just by way of recap, we suggest that arbitration agreements should not be amended to include sustainability measures. Such measures are unrealistic, counterproductive and unnecessary. Thank you, Joyce. Overcomplication of arbitration agreements can indeed result in inefficient discussions um, with the cost implications that go with it. And as a result, indeed, sometimes they can create impediments to arbitration rather than facilitate it and promote its efficiency. Our time is up for this episode. And Alison and I would like to thank warmly all our debaters today for their dedication and time in preparing this podcast. Stay tuned for episode two, which will focus on answering the question, is the campaign for greener arbitration's green model procedural order unavoidable? Until then, thank you for listening to our Arbitral Insights Greener Arbitration's podcast series. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitralinsights at reedsmith.com. To learn about the Reed Smith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the costs of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on reedsmith.com or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, ReadSmith.com, and our social media accounts at ReadSmithLLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.